Hi, I'm Debbie Ellickson, and her podcast is Your Highness Podcast. It's about uncomfortable conversations around cannabis. Discussions are about inclusiveness, accountability, equality, and women in the industry. Diana Crash is a veteran volunteer veteran journalist who writes and speaks about all things cannabis. She sheds light on issues that help educate and raise the consciousness of cannabis. Welcome, Diana. How many states is cannabis legal? Well, recreationally, which means adult use, which means that anyone can purchase it, 18 states in the U.S. As far as medical programs, it's 37 So in some states, you're only allowed to have medical access with a medical card, but you cannot just go purchase it over the age of 21 for whatever reason. Hmm. And it's still not legal federally. No, no. And and that creates a lot of problems crossing state lines and for both consumers and businesses. There's a lot of gray areas, but yeah, basically it creates a lot of problems for people who want to say bring their product into another state line or, you know, as a business and as a consumer, patient, whatever you want to say, it, it makes a lot of things very difficult for people. <laughs> yes, because, because in Canada, it's legal federally here. And also, I believe it's legal federally in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, yes. It just happened, I believe. So how does it work? Do people like here, they have to purchase from a government sanctioned site. Is it the same there? Yes. So every state is different. Like that's the part that I'm hoping I can shed light on, but I'm not, I, I'm not even an expert on what's going on in New Jersey and I'm in Maryland because there's so much going on. Like in one state, for instance, you might like in Maryland, the state I'm in, if you sell edibles, they have to be like meaning an infused candy or anything that you can put into your mouth and chew and consume. It can't be in a container that shows clearly what the product is. It has to be opaque. So there's like all of these different things. It's not even just about where to get it. It's about like, there's a lot of laws in in regard to who can come into the store. Like even if you go into a dispensary here without a proper license saying that you're a medical patient, they won't let you into the door past the security checkpoint. So you can't and and when you do go in it's not like a regular retail experience where you can walk around and look at things everything's behind the counters and locked everything's locked up and like there are some display cases but it's very you're only allowed to show certain things and you can't like with advertising that's another thing i mean i know i'm like jumping ahead but you you can't say on a billboard oh hey you can go buy cannabis at this place down the street you know in certain states so, I mean, it's like very different here than it is in New York, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. every state is just wildly different. And um, as they all come online, like slowly, <laughs> they're all trying to look at the other states to try to like get some kind of reference point. But so far, no one's really done a great job of rolling out their medical or their recreational programs. And I mean, I guess a lot of that has to do with how nascent the industry is and, and they don't have a lot to really, you know, model after. But there's also a lot of just big businesses coming in and taking over very quickly. And so that's kind mm-hmm. of another issue. 
Yeah, I think here they're mostly, well, there's some chains. There's, Multi I'm just looking from the Calgary, Calgary perspective where I live, there's, there's a, there's a couple that have more than one location, right? but they all seem to be kind of mom and pop stores. Yes, I think it's very different in Canada. I, to be honest, I really don't know about that much about Canada. I've tried to. <laughs> it's just so much to understand. And unless I'm writing about it or covering it, I'm like, okay, because my brain can only hold so much information at any given point. Well, I'll tell you, I went on the government website yesterday to because they've got a whole section about cannabis and there is a lot to consume there no pun intended but right. there is a lot of information and uh, so you basically have to kind of go to the overview fact page to kind of get the gist of it but if you want to dive deeper it's like an encyclopedia <laughs> right and, and then it's like well who do I really listen to because you know there are reasons for legacy markets to exist you know and Right now in the United States, the, the legacy market, and people have referred to them as the black market in the past, but they're they're thriving, hmm. even with the states that are adult use legal, because the way that these programs are being rolled out are leaving out the people who are disproportionately affected by the war on drugs the most. Hmm. So it's like you know, who, who are really trying to help here, you know, and, and, and that's really kind of where I try to focus on, you know, like, what yeah. are we really doing this for? And that's why my topics tend to intersect a little bit more into areas that people go, oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's interesting, because, you know, I was just looking that up here, too, is the, uh, and it was kind of down in my question list here, that where, in Canada here, like there's been so many people that have been obviously charged and convicted with cannabis. So when the state or, or well, here, our country has legalized it, what happens to those people? From what I understand here is that there's only been under 300, maybe 237 or 260, somewhere around there that have been pardoned for past cannabis convictions, but maybe some of them have not been pardoned because they had more than just that cannabis conviction. Have they been overturning a lot of those convic convictions in the US? There have been a lot of expungement clinics since the proliferation of the adult use. Like the more states that come online, so to speak, the more we're seeing expungement clinics exist. And also, I'm not a policy expert, but I, I know that policy is being enacted in a lot of states as they're as they're putting their program in into whatever into effect. They're also putting in components that say things like expunging, you know, past convictions. So I believe New York just did that. And I think New Jersey is trying to as well. I know Maryland had some something like that, but it didn't go through all the way. Um, and that but I know that there are a lot of like legal clinics and there are a ton of nonprofits that are doing that work and they are always running these expungement clinics and they try to clear out the ones that are nonviolent 
I don't, I can't speak to, you know, anything else as far as like what else is on the record. I think that they can only, you know, pertain to that, but yeah, it's, it's happening a lot and that's great to see. One of the things I notice, you know, here, here, the indigenous community gets targeted a lot as do other, other cultural communities as it is down there. And it's sometimes seems with the convictions, particularly what I've seen in the U S is that they target those communities the most, or at least those are the people that seem to be convicted the most Mm -hmm. and the least likely to get pardoned. Is that, is that just a, Am I just making thinking that, or is that no? <laughs> is that what you Even going beyond the criminal conviction of it all, what I write about often is the child custody implications. Yes. And in America, at least, black parents are targeted a lot more. I don't have the specific a number off the top of my head, but they're targeted far more than white parents for cannabis-related inquiries. White parents are targeted more towards meth inquiries, like they're, you know, a suspicion or a drug test comes up positive. But that is another form of like incarceration or whatever the word, you know, the word is escaping me, but it's another system of oppression where they're taking children away and these children, and I mean, like almost immediately are they're losing their ability to get back into their family, like for cannabis, for cannabis. Yes. And there are a lot of people who have the misconception right now that because they live in an adult use state that they're fine and they can put things up on social media about them smoking and everything like that. And they're saying, Oh, well, I don't abuse my child, so I'm fine. But I continue to interview people who have been targeted because they're public figures, because they're speaking out about the injustices, and because people don't agree. You know, there are still so many hateful comments. I I personally, luckily, haven't gotten that many, but I see it from people I've had as past guests. They're like, oh, you're a pothead. You don't know about your your kids. Things like that. Calling, you know, just, just basically being like, oh, this is great parenting, you know, just because they're using the, the cannabis. And while I definitely think we need to normalize use and make it more public. I think we also need to be cognizant of the fact that people are still losing their children. Families are being ripped apart because of this, because federally it's still illegal here. So it really doesn't matter what's Mm. going on in your state. And it doesn't matter what the uh, social worker tells you, because there are a lot of other social workers out there, or there are a lot of social workers out there who will say, we look for different things. We look for abuse. We look for X, Y, Z on top of cannabis use. But that's just social worker. You know, yeah. there are a lot of other people in that system of of contact when you are going through something like that. You know, there's the pediatrician who doesn't agree with CBD use and finds out that you gave it to your child because they tested positive for THC because there was trace amounts of THC in it. Like there are things like that, that people don't really think, oh, they think it's not that big of a deal. It's legal. But, and I've been in that situation when I was pregnant, I was using cannabis, I was using CBD, full spectrum hemp CBD, which Mm -hmm. means that it had trace amounts of THC in it. And my midwife, who I thought would be a little bit more understanding because she was a midwife, 
was not and told me that if I tested again, then she would have to contact um, Child Protective Services oh my and God. they would have to intervene. And luckily, I, I wound up circumventing that. But I know a lot of people who have not been able to. So, Wow. And I imagine in ugly divorce cases that comes into play as well. Yeah. Yes, I have. I've written about that as well. That one was a little bit more difficult <laughs> to find uh, stories about, but they do exist, you know, custodially. And really, it's if you have children. I think that's the biggest part of it, you know. Um, otherwise, why would it really come up in a divorce unless you're talking about, which I did find in my research, alimony. You know, if you're getting paid alimony and you are spending some of that on cannabis because you need it medically or for whatever reason, they can use that as a way to try to reduce your amount. So, well, let's talk about the difference between smoking it and the oils. Okay. So is it the same or? <laughs> Well, I know smoking isn't the same, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, is the content of, of the cannabis <sighs> the same? Or... <laughs> I don't see. I don't know. I know. Oh, <laughs> I know. As I said, I, I'm one of these people that just assume people know what I know sometimes. And, and I know it's a terrible trait to have as a journalist, but that's why the editors are like, can you explain this? But I just was a guest editor of an issue of Can a Curious magazine. And that is geared toward people who don't know anything about cannabis. And so that was a lesson for me <laughs> because I'm just like, uh, duh, doesn't, you know, people should know this by now, but people don't because <laughs> a lot of people do. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I personally have been consuming cannabis since I was in middle school, but I did not even have a half an idea about everything that's involved with this plant until probably about five years ago. I mean, I'm always learning new things. We're all learning new things in this industry. To start with, the plant itself has so many different aspects. There's cannabinoids. There's so many different cannabinoids in the plant, meaning you have your CBD, your CBN, your CBG, and each one of those things is therapeutic but they also are heightened by something called terpenes, which you might have heard of before because they do exist in other plants other than cannabis. It's what makes the, the pine smell and lilacs. It's the, the smells mm -hmm. that also lend therapeutic benefits. So full spectrum is the, the buzzword, the keyword. <laughs> the way that you really want to experience your plant is full spectrum. You want to get all of those cannabinoids and all of those terpenes. Each strain has more of this and less of that, you know, that will be here forever if I try to break that part down. But <laughs> when you smoke it in the flower form, um, you get all the whole experience, the full spectrum experience. When you have it in oils or tinctures, they're usually more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they might extract something like say CBD oil, that is just CBD, right? But sometimes you'll see CBD and CBN or CBG. So it's, it is a different experience. And also when you smoke, it, it activates like your whole body. And sometimes when you use it sublingually, it's more of like, let's say it's, 
when you use it sublingually or when you're doing like an edible, it's more of a uh, full body high. But when you use it smoking wise, it's more of like a mental, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, so it, it'll affect like your brain a little bit more. <laughs> I'm not great at uh, breaking this part down, but uh, <laughs> I'm more of the I'll try everything and I will learn more about it as I go along kind of person. There's a lot of people in this industry that'll like get really offended by things like oh uh you want to roll you don't want to roll your own and things like that and i'm just like i don't care about any of that you know yeah. like i don't care about like the 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 process of rolling a joint or anything like that i am using it for medical reasons so i just want to feel better <laughs> so with the medical reasons too and i know some people that do she's there's a there's a 90 year old lady I know who when they legalized it she was still getting it from her illegal dealer because it was sounds a like my grandmother it was still cheaper it was still cheaper, <laughs> literally right? sounds like my grandmother <laughs> yeah because it was cheaper yeah because uh, when the government uh, came and legalized it and you had to buy it from the specific shops yeah the price went up so so she bought it from her her dealer. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, but she bought it for you know medicinal purposes, and it helped her. It's somebody else tried it, I know, and they didn't really think it helped them very much. But I, I know a couple of people that use it for their ailments, and they say it really helps them. The CBD oil, and but I guess what I am asking is. Does that affect you if you drive or what are some of the myths about the CBD oil and using it for medicinal purposes that, that are out there? So CBD, I used to be skeptical about it a long time ago, really. I was just like, okay, sure. And it's funny because I just finished writing a piece about this. Like how do you determine snake oil from CBD oil, right? And it's funny that you just spoke about a nine-year-old woman because my grandmother is like, was the impetus for this article. She's 92 years old and she, I sent her some CBD pain relief cream and she was like, I don't really think it worked. But the thing is, is that I keep telling her is, it, you can't really tell what you're, how it's experiencing or how you're experiencing it until you take everything out of the equation. The only reason why I say this is because I found this out the hard way when I was pregnant. I didn't use anything else because I couldn't. So I was using CBD only. And that was when I really started to understand how it was helping me. It was helping me with uh, my digestive issues, my headaches, my pains, my attitude, my mood, you know, and when I went off of it because of the threat that the midwife gave me, it was, I was just, I was losing weight while I was pregnant. I was just, I was, hor I was just not doing well at all. And I even said to the midwife, like, she was like, oh, you're losing weight. And then I was like, yes. And I'm, I'm not doing well here. And she's like, oh, <laughs> like, okay. But didn't you see that the improvement, you know, but anyway, midwives, but <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. But like in Maryland, it's it's hard to find someone who's really open minded about that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I was like a couple months out. So I didn't really have a lot of time. And I, I just had to figure it out pretty quickly. But basically, CBD oil can really work for you. CBD products in general can really be a benefit to your daily regimen. But you really have to be patient. 
you have to be patient because you have to find a product that will give you a certificate of analysis. Like they should be willing to give you that information. Any, any CBD line should be willing to give you that information. And I'm not talking about their own testing in-house, like a third party lab should have done the testing and they need to be really honest about the amount of THC that is in the product. Because like I mentioned earlier, there will be trace amounts and that builds up over time. So if you're taking, if you're at risk of a drug testing at your job and you could lose that job because of it. Coincidentally, funny story, Mm -hmm. it actually happened to my husband. He was in a cannabis job. They almost did not hire him because he tested positive for THC and he didn't have a medical license. But he, it was because we were using the same CBD. It was at the same exact time. And I tested, you know, at the (laughs) doctors and he tested at the employment and they, they gave him a second chance, luckily. And he was working in the cannabis industry. Yes. How did that work? (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's why it's like to break it all down. It's just, it would take so long. That's so hypocritical. Yeah. In Maryland. I, like I said, in each state is different, but in Maryland, if you don't have your medical patient license and you apply for a job in the cannabis industry and you test positive for THC, they have to turn you down. Wow. Yeah. My husband has lost so many employees or potential employees because of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They don't even think about it. Like when they go to apply for the job, they don't even think it could be a possibility. See here, you can work in the cannabis industry. All you have to do is take a spend $35 or something and and get a take an online quiz or something with that's uh, sponsored by the government and you've got a job Wow! (laughs) or you can, or you can apply for a job. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. (laughs) That is is so, that's so fascinating because of the differences and, and how, now, the other thing about cannabis and the CBD oil particularly is, I know you can't carry it across the border, but back in the previous American administration, when we were actually legalizing it here, it was thought, I know, I heard, well, I think it was true that if you were, because they were checking your credit card purchases and all this other stuff, or that's what some of us were told that if you actually were, were proven to have bought cannabis in Canada, you would not be allowed to go to the U S whether you had it on you or not. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true, but (laughs) that's what I was hearing. So it's like, you don't even want to walk into a store with all the cameras because you might get caught. Wow. (laughs) Might not be able to cross the border. That's, that's, that's what I was thinking, but, but I don't know if that's true, but now I know. Know people that have crossed the border. So yeah, it's, there's so many myths. There's so many misnomers and you don't know, but then there's so many different laws that you don't know what's true and what's not. And and it, that's the thing about being patient. Like I, I'm saying it like I'm a patient person. I'm not. I'm a very impatient person. <laughs> don't be fooled. But I guess on some level, I have to be patient because this is my way of like medicating and getting through <laughs> life in a non-pharmaceutical way. But um, 
like even going back to the CBD oil, like I would shout to the rooftops all the benefits, but also there are so many companies out there who are scamming people and it's making it very difficult to, you know, be an advocate for this because, you know, there are even just doing recent research, I'm thinking like there can't be people still doing this stuff. And there are like they they um, recently just did a selection of tests, like surveys and, and a bunch of gas stations and like non-licensed retail locations throughout the U.S. And there were so many fake CBD products mm. and not even just fake. Some of them had other chemicals in there that like one person wound up losing their legs. So that's, it's like, how do you, you know, it, it's, I really want to be a proponent. I am, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's hard to just be like, so psyched all the time about it when there's so many bad players, because before I started writing about cannabis, I was writing about kratom and that's another form of plant medicine. Mm -hmm. And that was the same issue in that industry. There's a lot of bad players who are just trying to make money. And that's all they care about. And it wound up with people dying. And it's like, you know, trying to be a proponent for something that, you know, has such a bad stigma already. And then having all this other, this other component of just like people who are in it for the wrong reasons, you know, that's what kind of makes it difficult to get past those misnomers and those myths. <laughs> So, so here's a question for you too is, and I know there's a good chunk of the population that are feeling this. Are we creating a future where everyone is just high? <laughs> what are the implications of driving when you're high? You know, so yeah. is this, is this going to be a problem? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, Speaking personally, I it takes a lot for me. I'm, <laughs> I have a very high tolerance with everything, not just cannabis. But I also do know some people who could take a 2.5 milligram and be like loopy, you know. But it does build up over time. And yes, there is that element of there is an issue. You know, how are we going to measure that fairly? You know, because so far, all they've come up with for sobriety testing is not scientific and and it's been it's led to a lot of unfair arrest so yeah they, they i know there's some technology in the works that are it's supposed to do a better job of monitoring it i guess like because right now they just have breathalyzers basically and i know i'm speaking out of term because i know there is another machine out there that's like being tested and i don't know the name of it but right now basically they don't really have a solid way of saying, oh, you're too high to drive. I mean, I think that you should go, when whenever you start any plant medicine regimen, you should start low and go slow. And that way there you avoid those type of things. I mean, that is pretty much the long and short of it. That's the only way to avoid, you know, mass high drivers <laughs> and major accidents and pileups and whatever, because if you do that, you're guaranteed to just, and it might be annoying at, at for, for a while because you might not feel anything, but starting off at the very lowest dose possible is the only way to really kind of avoid that. And I would also say that I think a lot of stories about inebriation have been exaggerated because as long as you're paying attention to what you're consuming, 
you shouldn't really get into those kind of situations. I understand that there are edibles that are unmarked and, and there are different situations you can get into by accident. But if you're being conscious about, like if you're just trying to be a mindful consumer, then it is possible. There's so much education out there now. So That's a great tagline, by the way, go low and go slow. You got to use that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. And it's one that it I've had a hard time following because <laughs> I am the type that'll be like, oh, five milligrams, that's nothing. Oh, oh, oh. But now I'm a parent. And so I <laughs> try to be more mindful. Um, you know, I'm not on the floor ever. Like I'm never passed out beyond recognition or, you know, I... I don't get really high. So yeah, <laughs> it's not an issue in my house. And my husband, he wasn't a consumer. Even when he began in the industry, he wasn't really a consumer either. So it's good to have someone that kind of balances me out. Like he does now, but he's very like, he, he uses very small doses and he never gets high. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good balance to have that, you know, especially when you have responsibilities like tiny humans, you really want to make sure you have someone else around yeah. <laughs> in case those five milligrams, you know, hit you a different way. But you talk about inclusiveness, equality and accessibility in your podcast. Can you expound on that? So, yes, I can. In the beginning of my podcast about almost five years ago, there wasn't a lot of women talking about their cannabis use. And so that's how it began. And I wanted to empower and uplift, you know, basically promote women who were doing these awesome things in the industry. But then I realized after a while that it was kind of turning into like an infomercial. And I was like, this is not what's driving me in as a journalist in my writing, as a person who's trying to tell stories. So then I started looking at the intersections in the industry like beyond just being a woman in cannabis, a woman who has a child, a woman who has an autoimmune disease, those type of things is what drove me to start exploring the lack of inclusion and accessibility in this industry. And while I don't always explore those topics in at length with every episode, sometimes it's just about highlighting somebody who's doing that on their own. I try to find something that that person can talk about that's like beyond their product line or their launch of whatever. And I, I want to know like what kind of struggles they're having in this industry and what are they seeing from their side of, you know, that, that kind of thing. So I try to include the people who are the most negatively impacted by the war on drugs, women of color, people who have disabilities. And that's a big issue because well, it's great to have access to the plant. It has to go beyond that. For example, I this isn't on my podcast specifically, but I did write about how deaf people are having issues in dispensaries because there are no options for them to communicate in a confidential and safe way. So things like that, I tried to bring attention to. Is there a ceiling on how far cannabis use can go as or are we saturating the market? I know in Canada here, like in or at least in Calgary, it seems like every every street corner has a cannabis store. <laughs> 
yeah. and illegal, illegalized ones. It seems to be curbing the illegal market a bit, but but are we saturating the market? Like everybody wants into this business now, and <clears throat> when everybody wants in, you know, <laughs> yes. you don't make any money anymore. <laughs> Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, I'm a writer and I'm a podcaster, but I also have done some PR work and digital PR, I call it. And in that work, I found, yes, definitely. <laughs> it is oversaturated. You know, five years ago, having people on my podcast who were starting their own lines was kind of revolutionary. And now it's eye rolling, to be honest. It's like, oh, oh you, yeah, all right. <laughs> Yeah. And what else, you know? Um, and what else? Oh, what else is the NFT of cannabis? Oh. Right. Oh, and, yeah. And there's that too. Saturated. Right, right. And and so what I'm finding is people are pivoting. You know, I mentioned plant medicine earlier. I try to keep everything under that umbrella because it seems like everyone's pivoting to this psilocybin, you know, mushrooms and, and, and those psychedelics, other psychedelics. And so there is more discussion about that. So I see that being the next thing. Really? And a lot of people in my circle already are starting to be like, well, you know, I don't want to be just pin pigeonholed to cannabis. And so <laughs> that um, opens up a slippery slope legal for legal purposes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't know, because again, I'm not an expert in the laws, but I know they're making it easier for people to experiment with psychedelics than they are with cannabis. And I, I do think that that is going to change very soon. Hmm. I don't know why. I just think that 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 market will be a lot more open once it's finally starting to become more legal because cannabis threatens a lot more than just the pharmaceutical industry, you know, the paper industry the concrete industry. When yeah. somebody steps on their money, then they get, they get a little mad. Yeah. And so it is disheartening. And, and that's why I try to keep the podcast going because I want to keep telling the stories of the people who are fighting against these big conglomerates and, and, and trying really hard to make some amazing things happen. Like I am involved in a nonprofit called This Is Jane Project. And we try to help people get cannabis who are trauma survivors and it's through a compassionate program, a compassionate care program in, in California, where it is allowed to give out cannabis in a compassionate care. Oh, aspect. wow. It is not here yet, you know, uh, unfortunately. But I'm, you know, hoping that will change soon. And that's even, that's the other part of it. Like, you can't even give away. Like, my husband has to burn and throw away like so much every day. He's not even allowed to give it to his employees. Huh. Like, there's so much waste. <laughs> and, and I mean, a lot of waste, like there is a lot of that waste that you can't just give away to people because of the laws. And then there's the recyclable aspect because you have to have childproof packaging, which is like a bunch of extra plastic. And most most landfills, I actually did an article about this. Most landfills will not recycle cannabis packaging. Wow. So, so what do you do with it? <laughs> yeah, it's so much waste. There was a small nonprofit here that was trying to do something about it, but they wound up running into a wall because where were they going to put it? They couldn't, they were trying to come up with um, 
they were trying to create contracts with local landfills and like have them kind of change the landscape, so to speak, but they couldn't, it just didn't work because local laws prevent it from happening. Like you, you are supposed to treat that trash differently because a, a plant touched it. Isn't that wild? It's just a plant. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of the other aspect that you don't hear people talking about at the beginning. I don't know if it's, it's if it's better now, but banking. You couldn't deposit the money no, that, yeah. you, that you sold cannabis yeah. for. Yeah. Same. Even legal. Amazing. Even the legal states. It's so bad that the magazine I just told you about, Canna Curious Magazine, they had to stop getting orders for the last print issue because they were shut down by their payment processor because their name says Canna Curious. Oh. So even if your name, and now, and you know what even goes further than that? And people don't believe me when I tell you this, but PayPal, and I don't know if I, I know other payment processors do it, but they will actually monitor the wording on your website, your blog post, your client testimonials. I know someone with a CBD line who was shut down by PayPal because one of her client testimonials said that the products like cured her pain, her muscle pain, because oh, you yeah, can't the make health. any medical yeah. claims, not even through your customers. Your customers can't even say, I love this for my sciatica. It cured it. You can't say that on your website. Wow. So you can't, well, we know you can't advertise it. You can't. There's always been for everything, every MLM that sells a product has got this umbrella over them where you can't talk about the health benefit, you know, healthcare. Right. You've got the banking. That's how do you get around that? How do you, I mean, how do you deposit your money? How do you keep your money? Do you have to hire armed guards and pay everything in cash? Yes, you do. <laughs> and that's why these dispensaries are being targeted for robberies because, and a lot of them have experienced theft. I mean, a lot of it also has to do with the fact that we're in a recession, but that's, it's a major issue. People It's are still doing, that way. I knew that way, it was that way at the beginning, but it's still that way today. Yeah. yeah. It's wow. getting better in some situations, but not all the way. It's still a major issue and businesses still can't write off regular expenses because they're considered selling illicit drugs. So under this tax code, they're even not under allowed a legal state, not even in a legal state. No, you can't write off things like advertising and, you know, merch and things like that. Promotional. Good God. Why would you want to go into that business to sell it illegally? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people still do and they're thriving because of all of this. That's why about encouraging it. Right. <laughs> truly, truly. That is exactly why people say like, basically stop disparaging the black market or the legacy market because it needs to exist because with all of this, you know, effery I'm saying, cause I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on this, but you know, with all this BS that you have to deal with. Nobody cusses I, more than me, by the way, but although I haven't used it on, on the webcast, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I don't think that's the case here in Canada though. I, I, because I think it's federal because it's federally legalized. They want your money. <laughs> they yeah. want you to pay taxes on it. Same yeah. with Mexico. I guess that's why Mexico, I mean, if it's done federally, I mean, duh. 
yeah i mean that that will be the change but then it's like but i'm surprised <laughs> i'm so yeah. surprised because that that i would think given given all the money that seems to be driving politics these days in the u.s that that would have been the no-brainer number one thing that they would have done <laughs> i mean that they were almost on that track for like a minute <laughs> But, you know, all of these politicians, I mean, I haven't been on the website in a while, but following, I one of my favorite websites is um, followthemoney.org, and you can <laughs> find out what any politician is paid, you know, from who and all of that. And doing that, you find out so many of them get so much money from the pharmaceutical industry. Yes. And that's pretty much the long and short of it. You know, it's yeah. the, the, and this are... challenge is the pharmaceutical market. Oh yeah. 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 Cause they already have their formulations, you know, they're yeah. ready. They're ready to take over and dominate. It just has to be at the right moment. You know, I mean, they already have epideliox, I think it's called, it's a pharmaceutical drug, but it's, you know, it's the thing is, is that when you're getting it in that form, you're not getting the full plant, you know, you're not, but, I don't know. I'm not disparaging anyone who has to take that. And, and no, but you know, yeah. No. Oh, well. Oh. So what's your best advice for someone who isn't sure about it, but they, they're kind of afraid to take that first step, even though it's been, they know so many people where it's really helped their chronic illnesses. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, go start low and go slow. If you're in Canada, you're in good, you're, <laughs> you don't have to do you're much. You're in good spot. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it can be scary. And there are a lot of resources out there. And I would say try to find something like that first as a, as a way to see like what else other people are saying who are in your situation and what do they recommend? Because I know it changes all the time. It changes for me just for like availability purposes, you know, because sometimes a strain I like will not be available at the dispensary. But that all being said, if you go into a dispensary, trust the people that work there. They are trained extensively. You know, they will help you out if you say like, look, I don't want to get high. I just wanted this. You know, and if they come at you with all of this terpenes and stuff and it's too much, <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> I would uh, like this, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like, hold on. But websites like Realm of Caring, which is a really great nonprofit, they have like an extensive library about every single part of a of the plant that you could possibly think of and how it can treat every single disease and illness and whatever. And and going from that point, you know, and, and getting somebody who's been around for a while and finding a product line who that gives you that third party testing, you know, look for that third party testing. That is key. And yeah, from there on, it's basically kind of a crapshoot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it, but you can tailor it over time. And, yeah. and I'm always changing mine and I'm adjusting and, and, you know, adding this and trying that. So it's, it's a process, but just don't be scared. <laughs> well, it's no different than medication, <clears throat> pharmaceutical medication, because we have to do that with that too. Yeah. In some cases. Yeah. And it doesn't stay in your system nearly as long <laughs> as some pharmaceuticals. So a lot of times, worst case scenario, you take a nap and you're fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's my really the worst, the worst situation I've been in. I took a nap and that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diana, this is so great. I could go on all day on this topic. It's, it was fascinating and I learned a lot okay. and I hope the audience has too. I hope Thank so. you so much for this. Thank you so much. Oh my God. I am so honored. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great day.